Hey guys, it's Ed, and I'm coming to you live from Grand Central Station here in New York City. Now, I know this is not our normal location, and it will be a little bit noisier than normal, and I apologize for that. But, I, um, as I mentioned, we're moving the studios, and at this point, um, between my other job and... Uh, moving, I felt like this was the best opportunity for me to start recording. So, here we are. And, so, okay. Y'all are going to think I'm crazy, but I keep having this weird dream where the one I really, really like and who I believe really, really likes me back um, gets me pregnant. And there are all sorts of weird... Um, meanings to the stream. But the most significant is I'm writing the damn book. <laughs> I mean, that can't really shock anyone at this point that I'm going to write a pregnant man erotica. But boom goes the dynamite. <laughs> um, and speaking of pregnancy, Lady Gaga is not. She, there have been breathless covers um, uh, on the tabloid, it's saying, Lady Gaga with child, Lady Gaga pregnant, Lady Gaga abandoned, and she's carrying his child. No, she's not. She said as much on Twitter. Um, her exact quotes... Was... Do-do-do-do-do. Damn it, Taylor Swift. <laughs> um, her exact quote is, Yeah, I'm pregnant with hashtag LG6. And LG6 is purportedly the name of her new album, which is being um, recorded and produced at, at this stage. Um, this is going to be the fir- obviously the first one since she won her Oscar. It's also going to be the first since Joanne failed to take off on the Billboard charts. And when I say failed, um, a million reasons did fairly well um, on on the charts. Um, Perfect Illusion, I think, was if it wasn't top ten, it was very close to top ten. But overall, it just didn't do what people expected. And, you know, and I know I've, I forgot what in what context, but I know we've talked about Alanis Morissette before, and a producer told her, you start off with 10 million albums, then you go down to 7 million, then 5, then 1. And that's how you build a career. I, that's not necessarily happening with Gaga here. I think Joanne still sold way more than enough albums. And given the current state of um, the music industry and um, the, the amount of units that are being sold by even top-tier artists like Beyonce and, um, and Britney and Madonna, Lady Gaga still ranks right there among them. If, if she's not at their level she's nipping right at their heels and if she's not if she's not at their level she's only been in the game for 10 years Brittany the newest member of of that group has 
been making albums for over 20 years now. So there, there is a bit of a disparity in saying that Gaga can't be that can't be part of that group because she hasn't been around long enough, um, or because she's not selling as many albums. She has her fans; they're fiercely loyal, just like Britney Spears, Madonna's, um, and even Beyonce's. Um, probably particularly Beyonce's, to be honest. Uh, and I'm going to tell you guys what I told. Mandy. There's a very real possibility that Gaga started the pregnancy rumor herself. Because she knows how to get her fans whipped up. She knows how to make them go crazy. That's why people put her on the magazine covers. That's why people love her. Because she knows how to get her fans talking. I would almost bet that by well, by the end of the day, hashtag LG6 will have trended or is trending on Twitter because that's just how fantastic she is at getting people talking about her project. Look at A Star Is Born. She did a fantastic job of not only promoting the soundtrack, but the movie itself. And... I I personally haven't seen it yet, but I've talked to people who have said that they don't think that anyone else could have played Gaga's part as well as she did. And part of that is because Gaga is that part, and the part is Gaga. And I am going to go, and I will be right back. And I'm back. So, I guess, in a way, we're kind of lucky that we're still at an age where our idols maybe are screwed up and, and whatever, but they're not, they're, their reputations aren't destroyed at this point. Um, you know, there's still, there's still some people who are like, oh, they're just charming, they're just, or, you know... They're just eccentric. Michael Jackson fans are having a really hard go of it at this point. Um, you know, after the Leaving Neverland, um, Leaving Neverland documentary, which chronicled new abuse claims from um, Wade Robson and I forget the other kid's name. Um, but uh, with those two gone, or, excuse me, with those two lobbying new accusations, radio stations are starting to drop um, Michael Jackson songs. Uh, Drake dropped a song from his set list um, that featured a Michael Jackson sample. And the Simpsons have pulled the Michael Jackson episode um, of their show it was a season three episode called Stark Raving Dad. And it's, it's honestly one of my favorite episodes because it's, it's the Simpsons at their satirical, hilarious best. And, you know, and I, I totally like get why they pulled the episode and I don't think that there's anything wrong with what they did. Um, but it is one of those things where it's like, man, I really like that episode. Um, 
But the the executive producer, I keep wanting to call him L. Jean. I just want to make sure. Yes, L. Jean was talking about the decision that came how they came about the decision to pull the episode and basically he said I watched the show um, and, and for the record Stark Raving Dad was the very first episode that he ever executive produced 27 years ago just let that sing in like this is his very first show that he was showrunner on and he had to pull it you know that, that's a touchstone like if someone came to me and said oh you have to pull Megan, the Megan Kelly book because yada 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 whatever you talk about her blowing her husband I would be pissed or you know, if they told me I had to pull the book because you, you know she's a douchebag we all already know she's a douchebag anyways um, the point is that I would be upset um, but he he goes on to say that they that he watched Leaving Neverland, and so did some of his fellow producers, and they believed the two new accusers, and therefore felt as if they had to pull the episode. And but uh, that that's bad enough, okay. That is bad. But if you take this one step further, and he, and he did, he said that he feels like Michael Jackson was using that episode to groom boys to get into bed with him. He, he doesn't elaborate other than to say that that's his opinion and that's what he thinks, which, again, fair you know, you're allowed to have an opinion. I wish he would have kind of backed it up again. The commenters on the stories, though, have kind of flushed out that idea, saying, you know, the episode aired in 1993, when The Simpsons were still huge with kids. Um, because, you know, it was just edgy enough. It wasn't, it was just, it was edgy for it to be cool for the kids. But not edgy enough for the parents to be like, oh, you cannot watch that. Even though some parents actually did say you cannot watch that. Um, but in this case, you know, it, with this, um, what they're saying, what the commentators are theorizing is that Michael Jackson would say to the kids, oh, you know, I was on The Simpsons, blah, 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 we can watch it, but. I, I only like to watch it while I'm in bed and things like that and it's really disturbing and they're also theorizing that he could have been um, singing the happy birthday song in, in case you don't know what I mean by that in the episode Homer is um, locked up in a mental institution after wearing a pink shirt and um, he was supposed to be doing a psych, a psych exam so he gets locked up in the mental institution. <coughs> Would not be an episode without me coughing. Um, he gets locked up in the mental institution. He meets this dude who claims he's Michael Jackson. And they get sprung 
and um, Homer calls Bart and tells him that he's bringing Michael Jackson home not to tell anyone so Bart of course goes and calls everyone all this time Lisa is upset because Bart doesn't remember it's her birthday and so everything dovetails as it's revealed that this is not Michael Jackson I forgot what his actual name was but he's not Michael Jackson and in fact he, he really is a crazy person but he's a talented songwriter and he helps Bart write Lisa a song for her birthday and it, it's a classic song that's still used um, in fact the Simpsons posted an Instagram about it on Michael's birthday before everything blew up and there we go and here I go I'm gonna go and I will be right back and I'm back so everyone is super duper excited about this 90210 reboot except for me which is weird because I love the original 90210 the uh, and I said this before the Brenda um, Dylan Kelly Love Triangle is probably one of the best I've ever seen um Ever. Like, there is not one that holds a candle to it in recent memory. And if anyone dare comes at me with the Bella Jacob Edward love triangle, I will throat punch you into the 1990s so you can watch what a real love triangle looks like. Um, <laughs> but seriously, like, I don't... I mean, part of it was definitely the the chemistry between the actors. Um, Shannon Doherty and Luke Perry, may he rest in peace, had an amazing chemistry. Gene Garth and Luke Perry... I don't want to say didn't have chemistry. They had a different type of chemistry. And Shannon Doherty and Jenny Garth, oh my god. You, they, they were the very definition of frenemies. And, um, the rest of the show was okay. Um, of course I loved um, when Tiffany Amber Thiessen came in. I was sad that Shannon Doherty left, but... Honestly, I think by the time she left, she was just over it. <clears throat> and it made sense. Uh, and, and people look at me like I'm crazy when I say it made sense. But the show started with her and um, Brand- with Brenda and Brandon, Jan Jordy and Jason Priestley, starting high school as freshmen. And Brenda was never the type that was going to stay around. Uh, so, yeah, I do believe that she was... Um, uh, that this was always supposed to be the plan where she just left. Um, but 
there was a line, and I know I read it because we talked about it. Um, it was over on Crazy Days and Nights called Mad and Glad About the Revival. And it's all about someone who um, is happy that they that their show is being revived. But they're really sad. Or not sad, but they're mad that they're not being paid what they once were. Well, Blind Gossip revealed that to be Tori Spelling, which, again, we all knew. Um, Tori Spelling comes from one of the richest families in America. Um, her father was, of course, Aaron Spelling, the uber tycoon, who redefined primetime soaps. Um, he executive produced Nano to an and I don't know if this is if it's shocking or or not. It depends on who you talk to, to be honest. But a lot of people were just completely blindsided that he only left Tori Spelling and her brother Randy a relatively small amount of money. Here's why it's not shocking to me. He wanted his kids to earn their money. Um, he gave them jobs. He gave Tori a job on 90210. He gave Randy a job on Sunset Beach. Um, but I, I truly believe that Aaron Spelling just wanted the kids to learn. And they didn't. And plus, I think he also figured that his wife Candy would help out the kids. Well, Candy and Tori had a falling out a few years back. And they just started making amends. So, you know, Tori can't be hitting up Mommy to pay her Amex and whatnot. Anyways, Tori is pissed about her her salary. And she's also pissed that um, they only got a six-episode series order. Here's a couple things. First of all, the type of show that they're doing, um, a Curb Your Enthusiasm type of show, doesn't work on network TV. And I don't know what the contracts or anything looks like, but they probably had to propose it to Fox first. <coughs> My guess is they were probably hoping for, like, a CBS All Access or a, a Netflix deal. Because streaming, streaming services will pay a premium price. Um, but Fox got it. It's a summer show, and I said this before. This is, this is why I remember us talking about this blind. This is a summer show. And summer shows generally have to be cheaper. Now, if it's a big hit, and Fox has been knocking it out of the park in terms of of shows being hits lately, um, then yes, it'll probably come back, and yes, they'll prob- the the people who sign on will probably get huge raises because that's how it works. 
But I think in order for it to be a hit, they're going to have to address the Luke Perry um, situation. They were all very convinced that Luke was going to... Um, not star necessarily, but definitely... Um, guest star. And they're convinced that Shannon Doherty was too. And obviously Luke is no longer able to. I really hope Shannon Doherty does. Um, but Tori Spelling needs to get over herself. She's not going to make the money that she used to make. She's simply not popular. The um, A couple of years back she did an ABC family show with Jenny Garth where they were... They played actresses who played detectives who then ended up solving crimes. It was actually a really cool concept for a book series, not for a TV series. And I'm going to go and I'll be right back. And I'm back. So I was having a conversation with a friend um, who is also a writer. And me and my friend uh, Meredith were talking about Stephen King. Um, I have a great admiration for him. I may not like all of his work. I think The Outsider is vastly overrated. Sorry, Mandy. Um, but I, there's no denying that the man is talented. And what he does that um, I, I see a lot of myself, and maybe it's just because I, I really do aspire to have the type of career that he has, um, is he comes up with these really cool premises and then he writes like a machine and just writes and writes and writes and writes. Um, and if you don't know his backstory, Google it. It is so inspiring. Um, he was a, he started out as a um, high school janitor, um, and then became a teacher. And they were broke. Um, Tabby was working at Dunkin' Donuts. Um, he was writing short stories. And this is where um, tonight's Drunk Writings, or this episode's Drunk Writings segment comes in. Um, he, he was doing short stories for, like, magazines and whatnot. And one of the, one of the biggest criticisms he's got was, you don't know how to write for women. And he thought about it and thought about it and was like, fuck them, I know how to write for women. And um, he thought of two girls that he knew in high school and started crafting the character Carrie White. Uh, and he started writing single-spaced, um, three pages. This was all done on a typewriter. And he read it. It was too long to be a short story that would sell to a magazine. But he did, he really hated what he wrote. And so he and he didn't want to invest in a novella that was never gonna sell. So he crumpled it up and threw it away. And Tabitha came through, read it, and said, I'll help you. And Helped him craft Carrie. Sent it around. Um, a publisher picked it up. Offered him a $2,500 advance. And it didn't do very well. Initially. 
Um, but it did well enough where there was a bidding war for the paperback rights. And that nabbed 400,000, 200 of which went to Stephen King. Um, and long story short, that that's how he built his career. And, you know, in a way I followed a very similar pattern. Because almost everything I do, I start with a... Um, with just the premise, what I call a premise check. Um, sometimes it's um, a contest entry on writing.com. Sometimes I just write something. Um, I just wrote a piece that Natalie and Will um, read for me and that they're giving me feedback on it. Um, and it, it is for, hopefully, the launch of a huge... Um, a fantasy project. But I'm so... You know, my thing is I'm so used to writing, like, romance and comedy and... Um, that mystery and true crime. That fantasy really intimidates me because I'm like... Uh, 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 there's a huge part of me that overthinks. And I'm like, I don't know, I don't know if this is good enough, I don't know if I'm doing this right, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And so, and, and that, when I send it to them, I'm like, if you guys hate it, just tell me. Like, and, I, and I always have to say, I'm not looking for you just to say nice things. Like, I really need to know if it sucks, because if it sucks, maybe I'm going to put this project on hold. And, um... Will, Will and I were talking tonight, and basically he was like, first of all, because I had really insulted myself, I like, um, and again, it wasn't just like, oh, poor me, it was more like, I, I'm super nervous about this, like, I mean, Natalie's feedback was was very good and um, useful, but I'm still a little, you know, iffy on it. Anyway, so Will and I were talking, and I insulted myself, and, you know, he was like, no, 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 like, you're good. He's like, you know, your dialogue has always carried you. Those are not his exact words. Um... But that's uh, that's basically what I took it to mean. Like my way of having my characters talk is very snappy and very um, I call it Ed, <laughs> very Ed esque. Um, because the way I talk to you guys is the way my that's how my characters talk. Um, you know, I try to come up with the one liners because I want people laughing, I want people enjoying themselves. Um, in a previous drunk writing segment, we talked about how I'm not one of those authors that can make people cry. Um, and, uh, you know, I was schooled tonight on, I'm blaming the music I was listening to. Because <laughs> um, I did, I, it was like all ballads. Like I'm writing a fight scene to um, something to remember my Madonna. Um, <laughs> And then it flips over to Escapade by Janet Jackson. 
as I'm trying to write this really emotional scene in, that doesn't work. <laughs> Anyways, um, now I'm working on a, uh, before I launch into the huge um, project, um, one of my other things I want to do is start to work my way into the WGA, so I'm writing a movie treatment, which is very short, um, not a lot of dialogue, it's basically you just tell the story, and, um, most of the, most of the, um, guys I've read have said the movie treatment is basically five pages, and that includes the title page. You get in there, you lay out the characters, you lay out the setting, you hit the major plot points, act one, two, three, boom, you're done. Um, so I'm working on that, and what I'm going to do is work on um, a couple of those, and then, because um, script writing actually comes very easy to me, um, when I, I actually took a film writing class, well, it was, it was playwriting and, and script writing. I don't know why my school connected those two, but anyways, um, yeah, that, <laughs> it, it confounds me to this day, um, but once I get, like, two or three of those stones, I'm gonna work on the script, so all of this is to say, like, I believe very much in doing what Stephen King did, and using short stories to pay bills, that's why I write as many articles as I do, that's what, you know, because short and snappy, boom, boom, boom. You know, even even at 10 cents a word, a 600-word article is still 60 bucks. I can knock that out in an hour. Um, I can knock out a 1,000-word short story in an hour. And that, yes, that actually does include editing as well. In this case, editing is simply grammar. Um, but I, you know, I can do this because I've trained my body. I've trained my mind to just go. Um, and that's largely thanks to writing.com's, um, the Writer's Cramp Contest. If you're a writer and you haven't done it, go do it. Because all they want you to do is write. They don't, they give you a prompt and they give you 24 hours. They don't care about grammar or anything like that unless it's very distracting. And speaking of very distracting, I'm going to go and I'm going to be right back. And I'm back. So, y'all know I love everything pop culture. And I try to read as much pop culture, as many pop culture books as I possibly can. Um, I've read some really great ones. Um, There was one that came out a few years ago called Desperate Networks. And it was all about how... It was all about the fight for... Um, the, like, the, the, the Desperate Housewives and... Um, lost in... I'm trying to remember because this came out several years ago. And I only read it the one time and I cannot find my copy now. Um, but anyways, it was... It was from the same guy who wrote about the late night wars. Um, with Jay Leno and... Um, David Letterman. Um, for those of you who don't know what happened, 
um, when Johnny Carson retired, David Letterman thought that the gig, the Tonight Show gig would be his. And so they went to Jay Leno, and David Letterman, they offered David Letterman a, um, I forgot what it's, what it was called, like Later Tonight or something. David Letterman was like, no, no. Uh-uh. And um, he went on to, he went moved over to um, CBS and launched um, Late Night with David, or The Late Show with David Letterman. Um, and there was a bitter rivalry between Leno and Letterman over it. Anyways, um, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. Um, there's a new book coming out called, um, Ladies Who, I think it's called Ladies Who Punch. Um, yeah, Ladies Who Punch, the explosive inside story of The View. Um, and there's a, there's several anecdotes about the feuds and whatever that erupted. But one of the more poignant um, stories that's told is from Rosie O'Donnell. Now, Rosie O'Donnell is a very, very controversial fiction, um, contra- controversial figure in the world of The View. Some people love her, some people hate her. Some people only started watching The View because of her. Um, but... Because she's not afraid to speak her mind, because she, you know, she does go right for the gusto. Some people just will never like her. Anyways, um, in the new book, Rosie details how she was molested by her father, and uh, uh, she says it. It started, and. It started just one day, and then and it lasted up until her mother died. And after her mother died, he, her dad just stopped. No rhyme or reason. It just ended. And... You know... I'm sure that there's someone out there who's going to say something shitty about Rosie. And all I can say is not today. Like, I get it. People don't like her. I personally love her. I think she's phenomenal. One of a kind. Um, but I can also see where she would be a figure that is not high on everyone's list. And, yeah, um, so yeah, um, she, and she's previously said, like, she's forgiven him, I don't know if that's true, or if that's just something she says in public, we know that there's a very fraught relationship between them for a very long time, and now we're finally learning a little bit of why it was so fraught and why it was a little um, complicated with her and her dad. Um, 
it makes me wonder why she's revealing this now, though. Um, just like with the Lady Gaga stuff, like, Rosie is very good at mincing out what she wants people to know. Now, some things she can't help because other people reveal it for her. But something like this, we would never have known if she didn't tell us. And there's a reason why she told us. I don't know what that reason is. Um, maybe there's a chance that she's getting ready to launch a new show. Maybe she's getting ready to launch her own memoir. Um, which is very possible. In fact, I think it's overdue that we get a rosy memoir. Um, I can honestly see her angling for a show on one of the cable networks. Um, she tried it with OWN. Um, and her OWN show was actually very good. I liked it much more. And I, I think I've said this before on, on this podcast. I really, really liked her own show when it was Rosie one-on-one. Because Rosie O'Donnell is a very skilled interviewer. She can do the pomp and circumstance and all that jazz. And she's very, very good at it. But, and and I, this is a really big but here. For some reason, people have this image of her as only being one way. At first it was, oh, the queen of nice and blah, 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 she has to do this. And then it was the fiery political Rosie. But where she's always been very skilled is when she interviews people. Even the Tom Selleck interview, which is largely said to have ended her first show when... Um, I believe it was after Columbine, and she went for for Tom Selleck and asked him how he could support the NRA after a school shooting like this, and blah, blah, blah. Um, people were like, that's, you know, that was the beginning of fire and political Rosie. No, that was the beginning of a scene that she wasn't always going to ask the, the easy questions. And it wasn't always going to be this, you know, the schoolgirl crush on Tom Cruise thing. She wanted to mature her show a little bit. Um, and then eventually she just, she just couldn't. Not that she couldn't. Um, I think that's the wrong way to put that. I just think it didn't work out. And I, the reason why she didn't work out on The View is because Rosie is not a group setting gal. Um, and it, the same thing with the talk. There's no way she would have ever worked out on the talk. Not because I don't think she's a fabulous person. I do. I really genuinely do believe she's a sweet person at heart. But I also believe that she needs to have control. And I think part of that that need for her to have control comes from having been abused and powerless. And, and you know, honestly, that's kind of sad. All right, guys, that's going to wrap. That's going to do it for me today. Let's wrap this thing up. As always, thank you so much for listening. 
And until next time, cheers. <laughs>